With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino at chumbacasino.com. Choose from hundreds of social casino-style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. This is the solutions panel, and we're going to structure it like this. Each of the speakers is going to have a couple minutes just to wrap up and say whatever they'd like to say to the audience. We'll, everybody will take turns. And then we have some leftover questions. I heard that the Q&A last night wasn't a whole lot of Q&A, so we are going to uh, pick some audience questions. We've already chosen them. We'll ask each one of the panels an equal number of questions. And then you guys have the opportunity to step up to the mic and ask your own questions again. And if we run a little over, we don't care. This is the last event. So all this critical timing that we've been on the whole time, this is our payoff. There's no critical timing to this session. So um, without further ado, um, we'll just work right down the, uh, the road. Now, we really want you guys to try to keep it to three to four minutes, uh, if you can. And um, so we'll start with Joel Garbin. Well, thank you. And again, thank you all for showing up. Uh, that's where it all starts. Jordan, thank you for showing up. As I said to your parents who are here in the audience, congratulations on raising a son who is a fine man. <laughs> so in, in the workshop today, what, uh, some ideas that I wanted to share, and I, I strongly believe that ideas are strengthened as they're shared, was that when you're, when you're approaching breakthrough energy thinking, there's a good need to balance the left brain and the right brain. Yesterday, when we were here in this room and, and going through the 50-minute the presentations, you got a good, healthy dose of the left brain thinking around breakthrough energy. So it was kind of the nuts and bolts of things, you know, technology and, and where things are going, strategies and plans, all that kind of stuff. That was not really at all what, what we were focused on today. It was more the right brain stuff. And as, as I spoke of it, I truly believe that's the foundation from where everything else springs. So I had spoken about my own personally profound experience that uh, in my understanding was an authentic call uh, even I would even say a, a revelation, which in revelation always is a, a deeply personal experience that's very hard to explain to anyone, and I fumbled around trying to, to uh, speak of it. But at any rate, it did put me on the path, and then amazing things started to happen with no effort. It's like the universe conspired to make it happen. 
there, there are issues of purpose, and purpose has come up many times as a speaking point here. Certainly Kimberly brought it up yesterday, and, uh, and Foster elaborated on it today in the workshop as well. And I spoke of purpose in my case is very, very simple, very short, and it's simply, my purpose on earth is healing. And it's taking the manifestation of helping to bring out these new energy technologies from an educational standpoint and an inventor advocacy standpoint uh, that are trying to work hand in hand to, to get us into that new energy era that's so full of promise and is happening. Not going to happen, it is happening. And that wave, that tidal wave of wisdom that I call it and the call for the concurrent evolution of energy technology and human consciousness that's required to make sure that we have the wisdom to use these things in a way that is aligned with life right from the start. That's what we're trying to do and, and it all has its foundation in knowing what that purpose is. My purpose on earth is healing. So I share that as an idea the other thing that we spoke quite a bit about was dispelling fear. It's all around us. I spoke of it yesterday as fear porn. It, it's an addiction of sorts. We're bombarded with it. It can be very attractive. And many of us get caught up in it. And it, just, it, it really drains our energy away. It keeps us in an agitated state. And we have to step away from it in whatever way is sensible to us. But one of the things when we look at our brothers and sisters who have been distorted and have got sucked into the maelstrom of fear such that they feel the need to use their resources and position to manipulate a planet for purposes that are not aligned with life, there's a way we can perceive what's going on at a personal level that is healing. And, and that's to perceive those, what, what they consider attacks on humanity, we can perceive that simply as a call for love. Plain and simple. Okay. So, so we don't have to share in their fear, but we can recognize it for them and, and simply choose to perceive it differently. It's simply a call for love from someone who no longer finds themselves aware of the presence of love. And so each time we can do that. I mean, it's, of course, it starts with us doing it in our, our families and all that kind of thing. But, but we can extend that out to a, a planet. And, you know, there's one example I'll use, and I'll just leave it at that. Um, biblically, there was an individual who had a history of persecution. And that individual had a transforming experience that blasted open his heart and his mind and turned him into one of history's most noted uh, evangelists, probably the best way you'd call it. And it was a, a transforming experience that uh, the universe provided, but did not give up 
on someone who was persecuting others out of fear. And it's something that we can do for each other. I invite anyone who would be in circles of, of deep influence, who may have been caught up in the manipulation scene, to come have a cup of coffee or a beer or a glass of good whiskey. And we'd be happy to, to talk about it. You know, look into the heart, look into the eyes, and, and offer the universe another chance to conspire to break someone's heart open and become a tremendous advocate for peace and beauty and abundance. Awesome. Thank you, Joel. Now, I just want to iterate just, just for a moment that we really want to spend some time with the audience, so we can keep our closing statements you know, within three or four minutes. It would be really appreciated. And I know that there's a lot of questions and a lot of people that feel like they want to get up and, and talk to you guys even more than they did in the panels. So, pardon me? You guys can all just start applauding at four minutes. <laughs> we were going to do something like that earlier, but we voted against it. But um, anyway, that, that being said, we just want to spend time with you guys. And so uh, thanks a lot for that. And Foster? Well, first of all, I really enjoyed especially the time between the sessions when I got a chance to be with many of you. It's so incredible and inspiring to hear what each of you is up to in your life and you know, what's brought you here and what you are bringing to uh, gatherings like this. So thank you for that. I, I personally want to suggest that you all consider that you have been conveyed an honorary PhD in architecture of, of a new paradigm. By way of summary, I also want to suggest that, uh, the, uh, that the Taurus is a good icon. It's a good blueprint, as far as I'm concerned, for the new paradigm. And a lot of what I've been doing this weekend is talking about how it serves as that for me. Uh, we talked about how what we're seeing in the Solutions Network for Thrive is that all of the issues that we're facing are breakdowns, uh, usually intentional on the part of a sick few, of the wholeness of natural systems. So our challenge is to recognize what the wholeness of a natural system looks like, uh, honor um, the, the humanness, but obsolete, th these people who are out of touch with wholeness and, and love, uh, and then restore wholeness to those natural systems, whether it's uh, ecosystems or banking systems or energy systems or, or systems of, of human relations. And uh, so, in our, and, and for me, the Taurus is the symbol of that. And as we learn more about the Taurus, we can apply those principles to our solutions. So what we did in the workshop today was look at two aspects of the solutioning process. The first was self-identification, really looking at our individual Taurus. Because in my research, uh, it's become apparent to me that we each are a Taurus energy field uh, that is there on purpose. In, in fact, it is the, our Taurus of purpose. And as we recognize that, what our purpose is, and then identify what sector we particularly want to work on and what level of engagement, whether it's immediate needs or systemic change or the consciousness shift it, itself, um, we can identify ourselves and line up with, that, with our own natural mission uh, and be more effective when we know those things. And then we can pick a particular issue to work on, and out of that, when we choose to collaborate with other people, most of us you know, choose to do that, and, we're, and we tend to be way more powerful that way, we know, in a sense, what we're bringing to the group, 
uh, and to the world when we've gone through those steps of identification. So we did that in the workshop, and that's all on our website if you haven't done that for yourself and, and, uh, and are interested. And then we talked about um, we talked about the tools and the compass. Those were the tools. We also talked about uh, a little bit about systems for collaboration, uh, the importance of skills in conflict resolution and uh, decision making and uh, skilled research and so forth. Um, but for the compass, no matter how good your tools are, if uh, you know, particularly if you're a sailor or you're taking a journey, unless you uh, know where you're where you're heading and have a good compass, your chances of ending up there are, are, are slim. So the, the compass that I've been suggesting all along is the agreement that human beings naturally have that none of us want to be violated. So I, I think in the same way that the realization for me that the, the universe has a fundamental pattern at all scales for sustainability, and that's the Taurus, it took me a long time to realize that. It also took me a long time to realize that the universe is also hinting as to what would be the basic principle for a thriving world. And I think that's a good core for the, the new paradigm, and I believe that that's the non-aggression principle. And as each of us recognizes that in our own way and then becomes rigorous about finding creative solutions to all the problems which do not violate uh, that principle, uh, I think we're well on our way. So um, I really feel honored to have been a, a part of this group and thank you for your proactive uh, participation and I look forward to f further explorations with each other. Thank you. Well, I'm really honored to be here also. I, I'm often behind the scenes, you know, as a producer and CEO of Thrive Movement, I'm more behind the scenes, so coming out and having this opportunity to really engage so directly with so many of you has been very heartwarming and... With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Uh, inspiring to me. And I uh, originally said thank you for the openness, uh, Jordan, of this whole thing from the invitation. You know, just come and speak about whatever you want. We're going to have a lot of interactions. So I'm going to be short because I really, I do, I'm excited about the interactions. And just uh, in terms of uh, extending this openness further into the workshop, because I know the idea of, to film them uh, would have meant that keeping chairs in a row and having people come up and stand in line to speak at a microphone with a light on them makes it so much easier to record. And I said, I know, but it doesn't make it easier to feel. <laughs> and I'm, I believe that for understanding to turn into action, it needs to move through feeling. I just, 
It's just my, I, I think that's how it works. <laughs> so um, in our workshop, we had a chance to um, explore, everybody personally have a chance to uh, identify behavior that, that they had changed when they wanted to, because we all have that experience. And, and I think it's really valuable to, to come from what we know. We know how to better ourselves when we choose to. And then we had a chance to uh, feel, to identify a place where our behavior is still conflicted with our passion and our purpose. And to actually imagine living out the rest of our lives without changing that behavior. And, and using the pain of that imagining to then source the courage that we could move into for the third phase where we were able to make a declaration and choose uh, to commit to making the change so that uh, the goal of the workshop, which was to increase the amount of unconflicted behavior in our lives, could in fact be realized and carried forth in the days and weeks and years ahead and, and to provide something that we can use personally again and again. So I know it made for impossible video, um, but it made for a wonderful experience. And it, I, I really, I'm just so grateful to have had that experience with you all. So um, thank you very much for your courage and openness um, in doing that. And, and thanks for the chair thing. Uh. Well, we'll just uh, briefly put in, in our workshop, I was uh, guilty probably of a little bit too much lawyering. Uh, I was try trying to uh, figure out how in, a, in kind of a concrete situation where, where people in talking with their lawyers are encountering a particular problem and uh, having to try to get it solved. Uh, I was uh, trying to to draw down the kind of more abstract concepts of uh, of the new paradigm and uh, what some of the qualities and characteristics are that are being pointed toward uh, by a lot of the discussions into trying to uh, thingify it uh, a bit. Uh, uh, you remember that in uh, the uh, the prophet by uh, Cabran. Uh, where he goes through the different people's qualities that the lawyers are constantly trying to uh, chisel reality into stone. Uh, so I was, I was, we were trying to, uh, to, to particularize a bit uh, some of the potential uh, uh, features of a new paradigm. Uh, since we're, we're using the metaphor of, of being architects of a new paradigm, I was attempting to uh, put a, a little bit of flesh on the structure, the bones of the structure of a, of a full-scale systematic worldview, uh, and just wanted to get some of that in front of us uh, as a deductive model uh, that can be the partner, as, as I suggested yesterday, of the inductive model that we're all engaged in working on, looking from the quantum worldview uh, toward the mystery uh, that lies uh, in, within quantum physics uh, that distinguishes it from the hardcore, scientific, logical, positivist, materialist worldview. Uh, so I was trying to get some of that, uh, uh, that sweet spot between the material and the, the ineffable, 
obviously said, and one of the, the questions came up afterward and said, how can you possibly be trying to, uh, to thingify the ineffable? Uh, and I said, that's, that's basically the job of your lawyer. Uh, so I was try, trying to do that a bit t uh, today, and uh, I hope, I hope we, we made some progress on that. <laughs> I came into our workshop this morning having literally no idea, not the slightest idea of what we would talk about. Uh, considering that, we actually had a very positive experience and it was really thanks to everyone who attended. Um, I don't know how to encapsulate everything we talked about. It was a lot of great participation, but uh, distilling from that and from my own thoughts about what I would just like to share with you here, uh, what, I, what I found important, what I find important in this world, first of all, and I think those of us at the workshop agreed, is simply trying to pierce the various veils of illusion that we are living in uh, in this society. Uh, and you know, going through the process of, of, of uh, shedding those illusions and trying to understand what is the actual structure uh, that supports these illusions. Uh, and getting, getting to the truth and finding out what, what we are actually all about. Um, and, uh, and what that is, is it's a, as I believe, it's a structure of power that is here to exploit us and to control us. It's a fundamentally a, hi a hierarchical structure of power based on uh, control over information, control over resources, control over food, control over water. Uh, that gives those individuals who have that power inordinate, inordinate, uh, inordinate leverage over the rest of us. Uh, in my view, this is helps to enable them to generate the phenomenon that uh, we know as false flags. It's also the structure that allows them to generate cover-up on things like exotic technologies, uh, something that I've been interested in for a long time, most of us here, and uh, things like the UFO phenomenon, which I've been interested in for a long time as well. So the key that uh, I think we came across was to find ways of trying to break that structure of power. And wouldn't you know it, I think one important way is to break our dependence on the, uh, the current energy paradigm. That is one of the key things that keeps us uh, in, under control. So it's very important that a, a conference like this includes the energy concept. It's great that someone like Joel is here to elucidate on that. Uh, there's a lot of you out there who know a lot about this as well. It seems to me that the, the more independent we are from that structure, that is out to control us, the more leverage we have to uh, breaking out of that control system. And then the other thing is simply uh, a decision that I think we all have to make, which is uh, to educate ourselves to the maximum extent possible, not to jump to conclusions, but to really go deep, and then to be brave and to be courageous in um, opening up ourselves, opening up others around us. Uh, a lot of talk about John Mack this week and really was um, Nice to hear about John. One of the most important things that I personally learned in my readings of John, I only met him once, uh, was his idea that you know our, our path of growth is the path of shedding illusions. And that's a, that's a powerful and it's a painful process, but it's a necessary process. Illusions about our society and illusions about ourself so that we can actually move on to where we need to be. Thanks. So Rich, Richard's going to time me. I've been timing every uh, one of the speakers here. <laughs> <by the way. laughs> you're, 
You're gonna go home tonight and you've got a lot to digest. So let me make a recommendation for you about what to do next, okay? First, get a good night's sleep. That helps digest. But if you can tomorrow, sometime this week, I want you to do a budget for 2016, but not of your money, of your time. And I want you to look at and be ruthless. You know, this is, we're trying to optimize the return on investment on your time. I want you to identify how much time you spend allowing media or other things into your life that are draining you. I want you to identify people who treat you with disrespect, institutions that treat you with disrespect. How can you delete them from your life? And if you delete them from your life, how much time can you release each week in your budget? So let's say you can turn off TV for two hours a week and that's all you can find, two hours a week, okay? How can you either by yourself, it's better if you can identify people you really trust and know very, very well, to start a conspiracy to help yourselves build your immunity system in all the different ways we've discussed or take advantage of all the different ideas and opportunities you've learned here. And your goal is to start spiraling your energy up, getting a higher return on your time incrementally. But you start just with a few hours, okay? And the more you delete people from your life that treat you with disrespect, the more energy you have to invest in things that build your immune system or teach you what's going on and bring down the illusions, the more powerful you become. Okay, the second thing is, if you are gonna spend more than two hours on elections this year, including media about elections, please spend it on your local elections. And please go, when your congressional representative is, is in the audience or your municipal representatives, ask them why you can't have an app with financial statements for your congressional district on your smartphone. They can do it. The, the US budget, can be made on a place-based basis, and I assure you, that will show you and your conspiracy lots of opportunities to make money. And the third thing, <laughs> the third thing I want you to do is whatever you do, make sure it's something that is in your heart to do, okay? Because the more of us who can live a free and inspired lives, that's what creates, that's what built our immune system. Our fear breaks it down. But the more we are living a free, inspired life, the stronger and more powerful we are. So please don't make any, let anybody make you feel guilty like you have to, you ought to. The power of a market economy is when everybody does what's in their heart, it can work. Yeah. So go live a free and inspired life with your time budget in 2016. Did I make it? Well done. Well done. Well done. <laughs> So now we have some prepared questions that are left over from last night. And um, we had a very strict criteria for picking the questions that we were going to ask. They needed to not be too long, and I needed to be able to read everybody's handwriting. <laughs> so the. Uh, <laughs> Me? I already did that. I'm Ron James. We did that a long time ago. Um, so, <laughs> it's not about me, it's about these guys, and it's about you. So, um, Joel, the first question is for you. 
And during your lecture, you were talking about new energy machines, some potential. And um, the question is, the new energy machines may produce energy in a 20 to 1 ratio, but how does this phenomenon comply with the physical law that energy cannot be created or destroyed? Okay, that's a good question. So, so when we speak about a principle of overunity, what are we really talking about? And I agree that, that you know, energy is not being created, even though uh, you can physically measure, empirically measure with current instrumentation an apparent, and the key word is apparent, increase in energy on the output side of a device versus the apparent input energy on the input side. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Uh, a good example would be uh, a device that, let's say, it, it requires 10, kil or 10 watts of electrical energy going in and generates 100 watts of heat going out. That would be called a coefficient of performance of 10, uh, or 10 times over unity. Now, does that mean that somehow energy was magically created? No, the energy is, is still coming from some source that's, that's on the input of that device. But that source of energy may not be easily measurable uh, by our existing instrumentation. We, we don't know all the forms of energy that are out there. Sometimes we hear terms like zero-point energy, quantum flux field, the vacuum, all these etheric-sounding things. We, and we don't really know, really, <coughs> what all of it is. And there's, I'm sure, many, many forms that will take a while for us to, to discover and uncover. But they exist, and as a, a practical scientist, where application is more important to me than theory, to me, it's, it's really the end result. What can we do with it? Is it something that, that we can use that benefits humanity, makes this planet uh, more beautiful, more abundant uh, for us and our companion species? Then let's go for that. Let's don't be too caught up in and uh, conventional scientific theory of things. But no principles of science are being violated. All the laws are conservative, and everything is in its place. <laughs> I'd like to just add briefly to that uh, from my Taurus perspective that there are many energy inventors that used to try to make a, a power cube or a power sphere, and they would either freeze or fry or implode or explode. And then they started making them toroidal so that they were open to the universe because the second law of thermodynamics uh, is describing a closed system. 
Well, actually, we don't have any closed systems because they're all made up of atoms, which are all open. But the devices themselves, the ones that work, are open to the universe, so they're accessing energy in the ambient field rather than, than violating uh, a, a law about what's in some particular closed system. So the next question is going to be for Foster. Been asked to come over here and find an X. Oh, there it is, right there. Is this? Apparently the camera was picking up nothing but my bald spot. <laughs> so um, Foster, audience is curious. Um, tell us about the vision that you had at 14 and elaborate on the Earth's energy pattern. Uh, elaborate on what? The Earth's energy pattern, I guess the Taurus. Uh-huh. Oh, I'd be happy to talk about the Taurus. That's a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, part of the background that most people haven't heard that I, I didn't talk about in the movie was that um, I went off to boarding school at age 14, right around the time of the Bay of Pigs, uh, whole the you know Kennedy administration drama, <clears throat> which took us to the brink of nuclear war, and I was scared, and I didn't really know how to talk to people about that, and you know I was used to doing duck and cover drills where the siren would go off and we'd all get under our desks like that was going to save us. Um, so, so I had been at boarding school uh, for a, a, a two months, uh, and it was a cold winter, stormy night. I, I go to sleep, and, um, and I'm carrying this terror around with me, and all of a sudden I wake up, and there's blinking lights and this loud kind of crashing sound, and I was scared. I jumped out of bed and ducked under my desk, and all of a sudden I realized, hmm, this is a strange circumstance. What's going on? Well, it was a snowplow scraping against the, 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 uh, the road out, outside. So I kind of sheepishly crawled back into my, my bed. But the reason I tell that story is that that's the fear that I was carrying <clears throat> and what I wanted to do about that. I had an intention inside myself that I remember very clearly. I need to figure out what this energy stuff is and how it works so that we can figure out a way not to be dealing with energy in a way that can explode the entire planet. And so that was my asking of the universe. So there I'm, I'm riding along on this bus uh, going to a tennis match. Um, and uh, I'm looking out the window, and this is what I did depict in, in the film, and the light's kind of uh, blinking through the, the pine trees outside the window. And I think it probably helped to put me in a hypnotic state and all of a sudden, I'm looking at this galaxy, I'm not, not galaxy, a solar system um, circulating around with the planets going around the sun. And, and I'm like, whoa, what's that? And then it transforms into an atom. I was studying some uh, physics at the time. So I had been, you know, had those models in my head. And I saw the solar system transform into an atom with the electrons and the nucleus and so forth. But, and I thought, I registered, oh, wow, there's some pattern, similarity <clears throat> at vastly different scales. And then it turned into a human form. Um, and all of a sudden, I, the message that I got was, I am that same pattern, roughly halfway in between the micro scale and the macro scale, and that this was the fundamental energy pattern of the universe that I was seeking. So I became like, uh, you remember in, in Close Encounters of the Third Kind when they're making mashed potato mountains and that kind of stuff? Um, I, I was on a fast track on math and physics. And, and so I had access to the physics lab and I would go up after my sports practices in, in the afternoon and I started building. 
<laughs> and people would go, what are you doing? And I said, I don't know. <clears throat> but what I ended up doing um, was taking all these glass blocks and putting them ultimately in a circular form so that I, and I took a light beam and started refracting it. And I would build it and move it in different shapes and it finally came all the way around and the light beam entered in on itself again. It was the snake eating it, its tail and all of a sudden I had a ring of light. And I turned off the lights and came in and I looked at this floating ring of light in the middle of the physics lab all by myself and I just started to cry. It's like, that's it. And so I told everybody, you know, the next day I brought them all in and showed them and they said, it's really beautiful, what is it? I says, I have no idea. <laughs> I just know that, that, that that's it. So I'll leave it at that. <laughs> and of course, that's the, earth, that's the earth pattern as well. This next question is for Kimberly, and it's one that's especially close to my heart because I've lived a life of uh, synchronicity and, and miracles that happen. And so one of our audience members wants to know, how does synchronicity work in following our dreams? So just to be, so synchronicity as in um, like things just coming together in, is that what that means there? Uh, things, tell me the definition Does of Does anybody remember asking this question? Tell me, pardon? I wish I had my dictionary here. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, I think what they're, what they're asking for is, you know, a lot of times you can have a vision for following something. You can have an idea how you're going to get there, but then uncanny things just seem to happen by themselves. And so I think they're, they're looking for you to touch on that. Oh, yeah. Well, um, for me, I guess that has to do with um, the partnership with the cosmos that, I guess I mentioned last night, where I feel like when I am relaxed into my full awareness of that partnership, which I experience a lot, like you know those images when you watch someone fall back and everybody's there to catch them? I feel a lot like uh, when I fall back with that level of confidence that I will be held, uh, by the cosmos that I know is here to hold me, um, then my experience is that just all kinds of things show up. The right people knock on the door and the right person just happens to hand you the thing that was just the missing piece. And I pay attention to that a lot as a sign that I am in fact in, uh, on the right path. And if ever it's not that, and you know those days where it's like, you know when music's off and it's just like, eh, just that, I think that's a sign that I'm not in this flow the same way that I take it as a sign that I am in the flow when things just uh, completely work out for me. And I feel like it has a lot to do with um, that line, the, the combination of uh, intelligent, rational engagement combined with knowing when to surrender into something else. And I, you know, I had a neat experience. Uh, uh, my cat, I was, when we got our house, this, where we are, it's kind of more rural and there's bobcats and stuff. And I was afraid that the cat was going to get eaten. And uh, so, 
Bodhi was uh, the cat, so I decided I would give the cat to my friend who I knew I would still see him a lot, but he would be safe. So moved, like, here we were, here's the new house, here's where my friend lives. Gives the cat there, and the first night he got out, and so he was really lost, right? Wasn't anywhere near the old house or the new house, and so I went, I just felt horrible. I love my cat, and I went and I was, um, calling every day, you know, jiggling the food, come on, Bodhi, and I'd be home waking up at night trying to think about it, and I really did everything that I could cognitively think of to do to find my cat. And one day after about three weeks of this, well, three weeks is a long time for a cat to be lost and gone, I went down and I, um, I just got out of my way, you know, one of those really great... <laughs> moments when you truly can get out of your mind and out of your own way. And I just asked to be guided. And I got the message to get in my car. So, all right, I got in my car. And then I got the, I came to some railroad tracks and I got the message to stop at the railroad tracks. Like, all right, got the message, walk down the railroad track. All right, climb over this fence. Like, okay. Like, I'm not climbing over fences all the time these days in my life, but I was like, all right, I can climb over this fence. Uh, so I did, and I climbed over the fence, and there was Bodie <laughs> on the other side of the fence. And I just give thanks. <laughs> uh, I give thanks for that and so many experiences that I have like that. I can tell you so many times that these miracles have happened when I am aligned, when I'm aligned, and when I have that combination of rational behavior with really relaxing into the awareness of the partnership that is truly here for us all to tap into. So if that's what synchronicity means, <laughs> I definitely uh, experience it and count on it and that's why I spend time being quiet at the beginning of each day is in order to remember. And I don't stop being quiet in my meditation session until I remember and then I go about my busy day from there. It's amazing how we find that if we just show up and we do our best, and then we surrender to whatever is for the highest and best good, then all of a sudden just magical things start happening. Stuff you couldn't make up in a, in a movie or, or just even imagine in your wildest dreams. Those kinds of things happen when you're really in the line with your purpose. And so that was a great answer. And it was a good question too. Um, so Daniel, somebody wants to know if you know if there's anybody working on an alternative internet that wouldn't be under government control or under the threat of being shut down or controlled. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. No, I don't. I don't know uh, of any such thing that uh, we'd probably have to call Al Gore 
and uh, see <laughs> if he's working on something else to invent. Uh, but 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 it is it is uh, I must say as a as a constitutional lawyer I'm I'm uh, pleasantly surprised uh, that they've had the difficulty they've had in trying to get a handle on it uh, because it's it's so obvious what the threat is that is implied in the in the present internet uh, that that we can we can organize and, and work together uh, in a way that uh, that clearly is something brand new to those who are in positions of power. And the irony is at the same time, uh, I remember the first time that I found out that uh, the FBI had been secretly insisting with every one of the computer companies that they build into their computers a secret back door uh, so that the FBI could tap into any communication going on. And uh, the, the fact that that discussion is going on publicly right now uh, uh, is, also shows the, the extraordinary danger that's involved here. The, this, the, 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 the casualness with which people uh, communicate and, and put their information into Facebook and, and on the internet and all that kind of stuff, the, the, you, know, you, you, you just get tempted to go to every kindergarten class and tell them about the Constitution and uh, how they have to be careful about the government and what the government's going to be doing. Uh, but I don't, I don't know of, of any, there's a lot of encryption stuff. As, as you know, the discussion's going on now about trying to figure out how to encrypt all of your communications, et cetera, so that we can use the same system and actually encrypt it in an effective way that they can't lock into it. Uh, that, that seems to me to be probably a more, a more viable system uh, other than the, the great, of course, open secret uh, about telepathy, that <laughs> uh, the the uh, you know, but they're even then, like one one of the questions they, that came up in our, our workshop is that uh, you know we, we lay out the the hardcore right wing authoritarian worldview, and then we work our way on up to the more subtle realms, uh, and people are saying, but wait a second, what about the extreme right-wing, hardcore people using occult power uh, in, in, in that, that type of thing. Uh, that I, I think that most of the people that I've engaged with in the, in the bad guy world, uh, they're, they're, so, uh, they're, they're so dense, their energy field is so dense that, uh, that they, they genuinely don't know what, what we're up to. Uh, <laughs> I remember, I remember in the Karen Silkwood case when we were, when we were in the Karen Silkwood case. Uh, it is similar to, to uh, your your answer, Kimberly. Is that uh, we were we were engaged in in in, uh, in doing some of the case. We had the guy on the stand that was the engineer of the Kerr-McGee nuclear facility where Karen Silkwood was killed, and we were asking him, you know, why it is they built the Kerr-McGee nuclear facility right in Tornado Alley. Uh, in Oklahoma, where all these massive tornadoes come through all the time. And he was on the stand testifying and saying, well, of course, the answer was is that the Kerr of, of, of Kerr-McGee was Senator Robert Kerr, who was the head of the Armed Services Committee of the United States Senate, and he owned the plant uh, where they were manufacturing plutonium, which they were smuggling to Israel and to Iran at the same time. Uh, but the, 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 the bottom line is, so he, he, he was saying, oh, no, we, we've built this plant uh, uh, totally secure. 
uh, and, and besides, uh, tornadoes never come around this plant. And uh, he, was still, he was still on the stand that night uh, when the largest tornado in the history of Oklahoma hit within a half a mile of the plant and uh, wiped out a whole, a whole section of the city. And, uh, and then we, we had uh, another person on the stand and he was testifying about what a safe facility this was. And, uh, and Bob Alpern comes into the courtroom and started whispering for me to come. So I asked the judge, excuse me a moment. So I go over and he told us that the, that the Three Mile Island nuclear facility was melting down right at that moment. Uh, and so we went back to, to interview the guy. We said, now you say that this facility is very safe. Uh, like other facilities around the country. He said, yes. He said, you know, would you say like the, uh, the nuclear facility at Three Mile Island, for example, this is as safe as that? He said, oh, yes. Yes, it's, it's, it's as safe as that facility. And, you know, and so, the, and, and so people, when they, they started saying, you know, who are these people? You know, who, wh what are we doing here? Where did these people from the Christic Institute come from that are doing this case? Uh, so that there is, there is a, a secret set of resources there are a secret set of resources that we have that have to do with intuition, that have to do with, uh, with, uh, with reaching up to the light and in, 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 uh, in seeking assistance, uh, not, not in a dialectical way, but in opening ourselves to the light, knowing that we're, we have access to this. And, and, and I, genuinely, I genuinely don't believe uh, that the bad guys uh, are as good at this as we are. Uh, and so that there, I think that's the, that's the real alternative uh, that we have. It's, it's our secret resource, I think. Ron, Ron I'd, like to just, I'd like to just briefly add to that question about if anybody's developing a, an alternative internet. Um, Kimberly and I have been uh, privileged to be in contact for a couple of years now with high-level people in the BRICS alliance, in Brazil, Russia, India, China, and South Africa. And they told us two years ago that because of the behavior of the, of the cabal, of the Western banking cabal suppressing so much activity, um, they were going to be developing three things. They were going to develop a, a new gold exchange, which <coughs> is now public in, in, in Shanghai. They were going to be developing a new uh, alternative to the SWIFT, uh, the Federal Reserve Electronic Transfer System for money worldwide. And this is a lot what, what Catherine was referring to the other day, you know, need, requires the satellites and all that. And, they, and, and both Russia and China have independent systems now that they have launched and are beginning to use. And the third one they told us is they were developing an alternative internet because of all the suppression of the internet. And that one's not done yet. I, I can't swear to the third one, but so far their track record's pretty good on what they predicted. Wow, so at least we know people are thinking about it. That oh, yeah. turned out to be a really good question. So the next question is for Richard Dolan, and this one's really surprising. Um, Richard, tell us again how UFOs and the ET phenomenon play into the new paradigm. Well, it's uh, a big part of our reality. We have, um, we have a hard time grasping it, to be honest, because it's not really part of what we can call our, our official paradigm, our official reality. Uh, and to many people, even in, uh, let's say, the alternative knowledge field, uh, the UFO phenomenon is really not part of their, their study. Uh, there's a lot of very engaged, uh, sharp people out there who understand that we're living in a kind of control system. They understand that we need to break out of it, and yet they don't really get into the UFO phenomenon. And, and I really believe most of it is because they, 
This is their one blind spot. Uh, none of us here are inclined to believe the narratives coming out of CNN or the mainstream media, except for some people when it comes to UFOs, and they're totally willing to believe the mainstream media. It's a really odd thing for me. You know, like you, you, you don't want to believe the mainstream media on the, the war in Syria or 9-11 or anything like that, but you're, you're totally willing to accept the fact that UFOs are ridiculous. I don't get that. Um, when you have a, a system in power that systematically makes a certain subject ridiculous that thou shalt never discuss seriously, i.e. UFOs, maybe you should be a little suspicious of that. Just saying. So uh, along those lines, though, if there is this major reality that is there, and I believe that the evidence for it is not simply a little bit, it's overwhelming. It's overwhelming. Uh, so how would it fit into our paradigm? It has to fit in because it's a big part of what's going on. It's like, um, I sometimes liken it to, to um, you know, Alice in Wonderland, where Alice goes down the hole and she falls and falls and falls, and boom, and she's in this fantastic world that's unlike anything that she experienced above the ground. I, I, I've often felt that we kind of live in Wonderland every time we turn on CNN or the establishment media. It's like this fantasy that's being thrown out at us, and you've got to believe it. And, and suck it into your mind. Uh, whereas in the real world, UFO encounters happen every single day. And, and they're encounters that are, uh, by turns, either traumatic, they can be, and they, or they can be transformative. Um, and and the, the really important thing about this phenomenon that I don't really know if I've discussed all weekend, and I don't know if I've heard it anywhere else, but is that it, it affects people at a very deep level and so that it's, it's creating, among those people who have these experiences, whether it's just a sighting that they can't explain or something much more intense, it is changing them sometimes really in profound ways. So it seems to me that how it fits into the new paradigm is, I, I don't fully know, to be honest with you. Uh, I've, I've studied this for 20 years, and I, I would not pretend that I have the full answer to it. But I think that it's... Uh, we're, we're in the process of revolutionizing our civilization. Felt this for a long time with, in terms of the technology. It's technology-driven change of our, our minds, of our consciousness. Um, that is, technology has allowed us to communicate in ways that could not be dreamed of a generation or more ago. And everything is speeding up. And uh, we're being helped along by new developments in computing, including quantum computing and AI and the, and the rest that are reinventing our, the whole foundation of what we are. In the next 20 years, I, uh, who of us can truly imagine, really imagine what we're gonna be looking like when the last 20 years have been so dramatic? So within that context, the only thing I can say is that it seems self-evident to me that a more sophisticated knowledge of the UFO phenomenon is going to be available to us and how that's going to affect us. I wrote a book on the topic and we still didn't get to the, the end of it. That was called After Disclosure. Um, except that I think that it's, it, it is the key, or let's call it one important key, that will unlock our understanding of ourselves. I, I do believe that. I think that this phenomenon is driving change and helping us to understand who we are. And we're, we're going to go much farther along that road. I just, I just like to make a, I just like to make a note that uh, uh, I, that was the point 
that I was driving at yesterday, <laughs> that, that this, this, uh, this issue of extraterrestrial intelligence and, and the, the, the change that it makes in our world uh, view is, is really an essential uh, referent that we need to keep in mind while we're trying to discern this new paradigm because that it seems to me that it's the ultimate stretch uh, of our imagination as to wh who we are and what the real ultimate context is in which we find ourselves. And so as we're working our way up from the quantum level of all of the extraordinary implications of quantum physics in, in, in unattaching us from the, the, the scientific materialist worldview, we have to know, have some sense of where it is we're heading toward uh, at this time. And that's why I think that this, this ET phenomenon uh, is in to, in to distinguish it to some extent from the UFO phenomenon, the extraterrestrial intelligence phenomenon is really the, 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 other, the other pole of the dialogue, I think, in, in formulating this new paradigm, really. So we were going to take two rounds on the questions, but we want to get to the audience questions sooner. So we're just going to do one last question for Catherine. And, um, and then we'll get to audience Q&A. So the question for you, somebody wants to know, um, is there really any gold bullion left in the vaults? And um, <laughs> little financial advice, um, is this a good time to be investing in gold or silver? Okay, so if you, if you want to know the answer, is this a good time to be investing in gold and silver, if you go to Solari.com and do a search, there's an article, what percentage of my assets should I hold in gold and silver? And it's still applicable. I keep republishing it because... It's the same advice. Anyway, so, th so I would recommend that because that will go through all the different aspects. Um, a process is happening globally, I believe, where we are decentralizing the, uh, the storage of gold. So clearly gold is being moved around the globe to much more balance. If I had to guess, I would say that Mr. Global is repositioning the gold to come out with a global currency. I have no idea what that will look like, and frankly, it's being developed organically. Um, the second thing is when the gold market ran up and then right as it came down, you had a stockpile being built in the ETF GLD. And if you're interested in knowing more about GLD, I have an article called The, the Precious Metals Puzzle Palace about GLD and the silver ETF SLD, and you can learn more there. But um, the, uh, suddenly the inventory looked like an enormous stockpile. Now normally in the world of investment, when you're building up a huge inventory to do a big trade, you stockpile, 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 and then whoop, you take it down to do the trade. And the GLD stockpile ran up and up and up, and we all kept looking and saying, okay, this is gonna be really big, and then it went whoop, and I called Joseph Farrell and I said, did they just buy the moon? <laughs> Well, I mean, I think that's a legitimate question because someone did a very big trade. Now, maybe it was just decentralizing the inventory for strategic reasons, but we, we watched a very big change of position, and it's one of the biggest question marks around the governance structure because gold at any, any given time may be a bad investment, it may be a good investment, but it's an absolutely major strategic position in the financial system as to how the central banks settle accounts with each other and make sure they're on solid ground. So it's, it's very, very important. And again, read the article, what percentage of my assets should I hold in precious metals? 
All right, so Thank you. you guys will be happy to know that while our panel has been working on how to save the planet and advance this to the new paradigm, we've been backstairs debating on how to organize the rest of the Q&A. <laughs> we want the audience, every one of you guys that has a question, hopefully you get a chance to answer it. So what we're going to do is we're going to form a line toward the back of the room, and Lori here is going to send people up one at a time. You'll stand by near the podium until it's your turn. Person asking the question will come here to address the panel. And um, I did want to do one more shout out because there's a couple of staff members that were really, really important to the whole process. And I want to make sure that they get mentioned as well. And that is Lori Wagner. Are you out there, Lori? And then Kat, Kat Sauter, are you in here? Kat, stand up. Sorry that you might have thought we weren't going to mention you or anything. Um, and then I want to thank Sky for helping us with the video interviews. And then once again, I'm Ron James. I'm the founder and creator of Evolve Television and the host of the Bigger Questions TV show. Somebody asked me to, to introduce myself, so. And from now on, for the rest of the evening, everybody, it's all about you. And so, um, yeah, let's get the first question up. Lori, do you have the line going? All right. So Lori Lorenz here is going to be the sure. microphone person. Uh, simply put, Catherine, I suppose, um, what are your feelings on Bitcoin? Um, so Bitcoin is a fiat currency that has no deposit insurance, is what I feel. So um, what I always say to everyone is, you know, I, I, what I believe is, you'll often hear me say this, Mr. Global wants a digital currency. He doesn't care if it's dollars or gold or wampum beads as long as it's digital. And that's for many reasons, some of which I'm sure you can imagine. I see Bitcoin as simply a prototype. You know, as we're building out the redundant global systems, Bitcoin is a prototype to sort of test one way of doing that. Um, and it's still early in a prototype, which means it's very volatile. There's a great effort being made to encourage people at the grassroots to believe this is an enormous solution. So they'll get out of, you know, if you have your money in a bank with deposit insurance, a sovereign government is, is responsible to make sure it's okay. You leave, you go to Bitcoin, they're free. So this is, this is a solution for many sovereign governments. It relieves them of enormous responsibility. But... Um, we're still in a very early stage in a Bitcoin kind of system, so I just would encourage you, if you put money in a Bitcoin, you need to be prepared to lose 100%, okay? Because websites can still, the regulatory structure is not there, so a regulator can, you know, assert control, seize that website, suddenly you're wiped out, okay? So just understand this is a very new technology, and the notion that you're safer in this then at a, a well-governed, well-managed bank with deposit insurance in a, 
in a financially sound jurisdiction is completely, uh, I, I would say it's a very creative interpretation of reality. Um, good afternoon. Uh, to the gambles, you, um, Kimberly, you were pointing out the TPP. Uh, the mother of that is Agenda 21. And is that also on your radar, what they're planning to do with her? And, and that's where the NGOs are being enforced on us. And all our young people are following that one. It's like the agenda for um, sustainable development has been hijacked. Yeah. It's almost like the competition. And, you know, I'm trying to figure out ways to address that with the young people who feel they're doing such good things by going to Paris and doing all these wonderful things to support that uh, sustainable development is the other word for it. How do you tell those young people that following that particular agenda has other motives versus following your agenda here? I'm not saying your agenda, but our agenda, maybe? Um, how do we turn their positive energy into our positive energy? Does that make sense? Well, uh, one thing I wanted to mention is that we have a blog on um, Agenda 21 at thrivemovement.com. So for anyone who wants to see in, in depth, you know, uh, understanding of our perspective, and yes, absolutely, it's part, it's right, part and parcel with that and how, you know, this is one of the most challenging parts is that it's always uh, through human goodness that we're manipulated. It's always by taking our concern for something and then uh, turning it into, uh, you know, the false thing. Oh, you're concerned about population, you're concerned about uh, climate, you're concerned about any number of things, and so here we'll do this with it. So for me, it's to have, to ask, to really honor the intention behind the commitment that somebody has so often that, you know, I consider misguided, but to first connect on the level uh, of the intention to do something good with that, and then uh, ask questions like, if you understood that this might be connected to that, would you be concerned? Oh, look, it turns out that there is this connection. And then did you, what, what about if the person who was responsible for this, it turns out is also on the board over here or is associated with that? And so that you're on a common inquiry together uh, based on a shared value, essentially, because the shared values are much more there about wanting to make things better and solve problems. And again, this whole thing about how to have those conversations and get into it in a way that's effective and not just, you know, you say your piece, but they go away and they have some weird impression of you, nothing changed. And if the goal is that more people really understand the dangers of this, um, and how they're being manipulated. For me, it has to do with first identifying what's the, find out what's actually the motivation because chances are it'll be something pretty close to, to my motivation. It's just a different uh, way of getting there. And then, you know, you have to have, a, you have, to have your facts and information in, in line because, well, I looked at the, you know, Agenda 21 this or the TPP this, and it says that. It's like, yes, well, let's look further. Did, you know, I found on this page over here, it turns out that it really says this. Did you know about that? And then uh, take it that way and really allow the questions 
because to me that's one of the most, uh, if we're looking to have an impactful ongoing dialogue and not just you know, one of those uncomfortable in encounters. For um, anyone who is not familiar with Agenda 21, just r really quickly, it, it's a, a UN-sponsored uh, global initiative that was really the um, first brought to light by Maury Strong at the Rio uh, uh, Climate Summit in 92, uh, I think it was. Um, if you follow the money uh, behind the good words about sustainability uh, in this particular case, um, the, you'll quickly find out that Maury Strong, has, most of his life was a, uh, a Rockefeller agent. Uh, and he was basically um, named to bring this motion f uh, forward for the UN. Now the UN uh, was created on Rockefeller land. There was no coincidence that that land was given by the Rockefellers. The Rockefellers and the Rothschilds had tried after World War I to create a League of Nations, all of which sounds great. You read any of the literatures, oh, we're going you know, to be in touch, it's going to be peaceful and all this. Well, the Rockefellers and the Rothschilds don't have a great track record of, of doing that, but they do have a, a very consistent track record of trying to consolidate power to suck up other people's wealth and to try to create a one-world government. Well, the, the Agenda 21 is that on steroids. It's basically uh, a big program under the guise of, um, uh, of protecting the environment and creating a sustainable civilization. It's a big socialization project for the entire world that operates a lot through an organization called ICLEI, I-C-L-E-I. I can't remember what it stands for right now. Um, but they, they've got... Uh, They've got un basically undercover agents in almost every community in the United States and a, a lot around the world. It's a big issue with us in Santa Cruz. And they go in and they, they create these, um, these fabricated um, community meetings where they, they come in and they give their speeches about sustainability and so forth. And a few uh, shills in the audience get up and challenge something, but they've got a right answer to that. And the people go, oh, okay, I see. Well, I'm not concerned anymore. And then they take... Uh, they, they don't take a vote on anything, but they kind of assure the people, okay, we, we've heard you now, we're going to, to uh, keep your best interests in mind. But the agenda is already written, and it's basically to confiscate people's property, to bring them into urban areas uh, in high-rises, and basically give all the land back to the government. Uh, and not just the U.S. government, but to the one-world government, because this is a, is a global plan. So. Um, Yes, I, I would be very concerned about that. And Marin County has been one of the strongest counties in the country fighting against Agenda 21. Um, I'm trying to think of the name of the woman up here who's, who's really spearheaded it. She, Rosa Quarry, yes, yeah. yeah. Uh, she's written a fabulous book about that. I think it's called, oh, she runs an organization called Democrats Against Agenda 21, which has shocked a lot of people in, uh, into awareness uh, in, in Marin. But I highly recommend you read that book and and go on our website and see the blog that lays out the, the history, the players, um, and the, the agenda for this. Oh, and that's now been translated into Agenda 2030, yeah. which is, you know, what's, and this is what ties it together with, again, using climate issues to try to fool people into voting for the laws um, that would transcend national sovereignty and the taxes that would have people all around the world 
have to fund the one world government, uh, which would be run, of course, by the, the high-level corporations and above them the banks and above them the, the secret societies. So be a little suspicious. <laughs> Thank you, Foster. Good afternoon. Uh, first, I want to thank all the panel for putting on such a great conference and the conference organisers. A terrific job. I've flown halfway across the world to attend and it's been well worth it. So thank wow, you. Wow, thank you. Richard, I wasn't at your workshop, but I agree 100% with your conclusion that I think if we're going to be architects of the new paradigm, we have to get a handle on breakthrough energy. I think it's the number one thing that we can do as a group to get a clear understanding and to get serious. Like if you want to get serious with something, you've got to invite the business community. It's the way it works. Joel, you've given a solution. You haven't talked about it much. You didn't even mention it in your workshop. So I'm going to bring it up for you. <laughs> During your talk, the 90-minute talk, you gave us a solution about setting up what I would call like an ASTM scientific protocol for evaluating different technologies that come to market. Now, I'm sure you're as frustrated as I am looking at Keshi Foundation and the claims they make and never deliver and a hundred others. I'm sick of it. I'm sure you guys are sick of it. And I think your solution is by far the best that I've seen so far. So you asked for $100,000 to start this. I'm going to put my hand up and donate $1,000 today to the cause. <laughs> but I'm going to ask the rest of you to join in. And those of us with a little bit of money, I'm going to ask to also put in $1,000. Catherine's the putting her hand up. <laughs> ben up the back there. There's three. 97 to go. <laughs> there's four, <laughs> there's five, there's six, 94,000 to go. I'll leave it over to Joel to work out how we're going to donate this money. It's a gift, no conditions, I don't need some charity certificate or anything like that. It's a genuine gift and um, thanks for everything. Wow. <laughs> Thank you very, very much. So let me, let me just add one word. <laughs> The reason this is so important is, is if Joel, when Joel finishes doing this project, it will unleash <coughs> billions of dollars of investment capital that can flow in. That billion plus dollars is waiting for this 100,000 to be spent. And one of the things that is most important in, in establishing financially the credibility of this effort is not that 100 people gave 1,000, but if 100,000 people gave a dollar, the more people who contribute, you know, if you just walk up to, to Joel and say, here's a dollar, it's my prayer that this project succeeds. So don't think you have to give $1,000. If you can give a dollar, give a dollar. If you can give $5, give $5. If you can give $100, give $100. Because the more of us who give, the more powerful the momentum behind the project will be. Because it needs to have a constituency. It needs to have a feel. So help create the field. If you don't have $1,000, just do what you can do. And if you can't afford to even give a quarter, just tell your friends who can. It can make a huge difference. Can you give us your address? <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, 
yeah, newenergymovement.org. You can, yeah, yeah. Do, do, do not send it to my address on, in Portland. But yeah, newenergymovement.org. There's a donate button. My God, Jason from Australia. Thank you. Thank you. My, that, that's, that is amazing. And, and what Catherine said is right on the money. You know, it's, it's one thing to, to have one person say, I'm going to take care of all of it. And that's, that's an amazing uh, gesture of, of, of faith and generosity. For a multitude to do it, that's a movement. <laughs> that's what we're calling out for as a movement. So, and thank you, Jason, for getting the ball rolling and, and, and for the second motion there, Catherine, and, and, and the rest. Uh, Joe, beautiful. I, I want to add to this. And thank you for whoever just started that. I'm going to match the next $10,000 given. So if anybody that gives Joel, Susan, can you stand up? The new executive director, Susan, or myself, I'll match every penny up to 10 grand given today. Thank you, Eli. Thank you very much. Thank you. Wow. Wow, this is cool. <laughs> it's tax deductible too, folks. So we'll, we will. Uh... Is, that, is that an example of synchronicity? <laughs> <laughs> Ideas are strengthened as they're shared. It's actually a conspiracy. <laughs> and it's working. I've been associated with New Energy Movement since its inception, and I just wanted to mention that my mentor, Bruce De Palma, free energy physicist, was a deep thinker as to the source of this free energy. And I wanted to comment to both uh, Joel and um, Foster that his view was there is no empirical evidence that energy has ever been converted from one form to another. It's a mystical perception on the part of the physicist. It's not part of the new paradigm as I understand it, Bruce went so far as to say energy is only created and destroyed and never converted from one form to another. I don't know which is true. It may be somewhere in the middle. But thank you all for feeling, as Kimberly would say, the importance of this new energy movement because it really does have the potential to transform everyone's consciousness from lack and limitation and fear and competition and greed to a participatory, uh, abundant universe. So. Thank you very much. Thank you, Andrew. Yes. That's great. Yes. Wow. Very good. Very good. Wow, this is incredible. <laughs> I... I am so grateful to be here. My name is Annalise, and um, I had the pleasure of speaking um, with you, Foster, and I hope to speak with you too, Kimberly, and you all are just brilliant, and everybody here just, um, yeah, I, uh, I just turned 25 yesterday, so this is the best <laughs> birthday present that my friend could have given me to bring me here. Um, and um, yeah, I just wanted to say that, you know, as, um, as a young woman who 
since I was small, uh, you know, five years old, having a dream from watching the Mayan prophecy on TV, and then next thing you know, reading National Geographic's on Africa, and having a dream that, you know, oh, you know, I need to go to Africa, and there's this, like, people with picket signs, there's a revolution going on in my dream, I still remember it vividly, and that's what led me and sure enough, in 2012, you know, because I'm like, what am I going to do with my life? You know, I'm going to be 21 when I might die or something. <laughs> and then sure enough, in 2012, I mean, you know, I ended up in Africa. And it's just um, beautiful to see that this space exists. And with all of these uh, people who I consider, um, you know, just uh, so wise. And I'm just grateful to, to be here. And I... Um, the, the, the people, I, I, I wanted to just say that because uh, I um, am especially connected with the, the work of the indigenous uh, movements around the world. Um, uh, elders that I work with that are now uh, my father um, in Uganda, the source of the Nile. And uh, he, I wanted to bring that presence um, here and to connect because the people who started the I don't know more movement from uh, uh, from the indigenous Turtle Islands um, actually came to visit uh, the people I work with with Mpombo African Multiversity, which has been uh, coming together for decades now. And uh, I just wanted to give that background because I'm curious, especially from our conversation about about uh, you know. <laughs> just as this amazing man who just came up here and just started this movement, I mean, we're passing a box around, uh, just as, as we say, you know, uh, if we want to get serious, we need to have business people in the room. Absolutely, 100% agree. Um, just if we want to get really serious, we need to have indigenous people in this room. Um, yeah. You know, I know that we all believe that. I'm just saying that, um, you know, funny. We need to, to and on the panel, and we are all re-indigenizing ourselves, so I want to say that we are all indigenous to this earth, of course. Um, but I just wanted to ask you, especially, as you mentioned, getting the I Don't Know More movement and all the different indigenous movements um, involved in the Thrive movement and what your plans are, and just also anybody speaking upon indigenous uh, wisdom. Thank you. Hi, so one last thing. Uh, everything was supposed to end right at 5, which is a little bit ago. Um, so if anybody has a reason that they need to go, uh, we'll certainly understand. Otherwise, we're going to continue for another 23 minutes or so. So, yes, 23 minutes and 14 seconds. 13, 12, 11. Whoops, I better hurry up and give the next question person the microphone. Yeah, so, so Annalisa asked a question, so we'll take just a moment to address that first. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> Go ahead. Well, um, I can tell you that it's, I couldn't agree more. And in fact, uh, one of the things when we were making Thrive was, you know, how many issues we were raising and how long it was going to be and all of that. And um, I know for, I said that it wouldn't work to put this much effort and put out a movie that meant this much to me without naming this issue. And so we did in Thrive. And uh, Danny spoke most eloquently about it and about the, the healing and the inclusion that's most needed. And, and that we, it's the foundation. 
it's the foundation, and any time you don't deal with the foundation, you bear the consequences of that. And there's so much to be offered and, uh, and gained from, from the uh, relations and the healing that's needed. So um, I can just demonstrate my commitment uh, in that way because, believe me, a lot got edited out. <laughs> and there was a lot of pressure to edit out things, and, and we didn't. And um, so in terms of ongoing, you know, we have the solutions hub that are, that where self-created movements are. Um, in terms of our own participation in it, what we have is um, a commitment as part of our Th Thrive Connect project. Uh, we've been working, there's been somebody who we've been close with for a long time, in fact, who was in Thrive, uh, Yvonne Peter from the Nitsai Gwich'in tribe, the youngest ever chief of a tribe actually up there. And um, uh, he and two uh, other uh, Native movements are part of our Thrive Connect project uh, in order to maintain the uh, heritage and to continue the lessons, including, and especially, I'll just name quickly one that was really significant having to do with conflict resolution. Uh, one of the main issues is, of course, conflict resolution. It doesn't matter what you're doing, it comes up and how to do it. And so without coercion, what are some of the ways that we can proceed, actually, when everybody doesn't agree? And one of the things that uh, was really important that Yvonne taught us, so this Nitsai Gwich'in tribe, which has lived for thousands of years, I asked him and said, so what happens when you don't have agreement and you need to move forward? Like, how did you do that? And he said, what we do is that everybody's voice stays on the table. So sometimes we need to move forward with an action, but no one is silenced. Any dissenting opinion to that movement, that voice stays in the room. And every subsequent meeting, that perspective is brought up and revisited so that either the concern is mitigated and they see, oh, you're right, it was good to proceed, or those who proceeded could see, oh, that concern is starting to come to pass. I see we need to revisit that. But there's a resolution in the process without stopping movement. And, and that was just so valuable. And it's something that we've applied so many times. And there's so much more like that to bring forward. Anyway, he has helped us to be most engaged uh, with the projects that have made it into Thrive Connect so far. But I share your commitment and appreciate you bringing it up. And the, I don't know if you know, but uh, there was a, a, some a public release recently that the Lakota people have decided to um, begin employing cold fusion in their in their reservations. So that that's that's huge, and I think they'll be. If any of you know James Martinez, uh, he's been working with the Brillouin company that Joel mentioned uh, in California, um, and so those technologies will begin to to be employed. Uh, and also we're working not only with Danny's Lakota Law Project, but also with uh, Russell Means' wife, Pearl Means, and a number of the other Lakota projects. Hi, I'm uh, from Sonoma County. Um, we're, we're working on an initiative to get on the ballot for no GMO cultivation. We're working very hard, and we need a lot of volunteers, so if anybody wants to volunteer, we have to have all these signatures by um, um, March 15th. 
But anyway, uh, other than buying organic and other than getting our county GMO-free cultivation and working on getting labeling laws, what else can we do? It, 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 the health effects are so terrible. I mean, I can't believe that, we, that we're still buying GMO products and, and that we don't really know what's in our food. So I'd like some comments on that. I'll just jump in. I, I saw the uh, documentary Cowspiracy. Anyone see that? Ooh, highly recommend I, I that. It was very, very important. And, highly um, recommend that. It, it uh, just uh, re I'm sorry? Cowspiracy. Cowspiracy, yeah. It's about the, meat, it's about the um, big agriculture meat industry and uh, the absolutely destructive, uh, not even in terms of nutrition. They didn't really get into that. It was just simply the destructive e environmental impacts of big agribusiness. And uh, I just think eliminating as much as possible. I, I, I eat a little bit of meat, I admit, but uh, I think that less we eat, the better. I think that's a, a way, a really good way to start. The, one of the things I would recommend, and it's particularly good in helping recruit volunteers, but also to think about what you could do, and I can't remember the name. There is a wonderful TED speech by a woman from England and right after 9-11, a group of the women got together and felt very sad about what was happening and said, what could we do? And so what they decided to do was to set up a project where all the women in the town would turn all the public land into gardens growing food. And it developed and developed and developed, and they were headed to the point where they thought they would be completely self-sufficient in terms of fruits and vegetables, and they set up a whole linkage with the grocery stores and it's a phenomenal thing and literally you walk down the street and you just take whatever you want so you can literally turn your whole community into a garden if you want um i god i can't does anybody know the name of that uh i can't remember if you give me your card i'll find it i have it up on my website and i will i will send it to you but um I think, you know, if, if you were to just sit down and tell people, look, we can turn all of Sonoma County into all the public land into a garden, um, you know, they would think it was ridiculous. But when you see this and you see it working and what's possible, it's very inspiring. And you certainly have the most beautiful land in the world, so it could happen. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so just give me your email address or card and I'll send it to you. Thank you for that. Seeds of death. Yes, thank you. God bless you. Um, thank you, everyone. Um, I guess I wanted to point out the lamps because they're half a Taurus. And uh, I thought that was a nice synchronicity. Um, Someone else is getting obsessed. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> but uh, to, well, to a couple things. I feel like there's um, what the, the bringing up the indigenous elders and the wisdom that 
the people who are, live still live close to the land are holding for all of our human family. Um, I had the, the fortune to be guided to by our, our mentor, Ilarian Merkuliev, who's a Nungan, also from north, uh, the north area of the Aleutian Islands. And he uh, guided us to go as uh, She Media, we are She Living TV, uh, to the Paris to go to the conference climate of, on climate talks. And the alignment of the prophecies of the indigenous people from the north lands all the way to, to, to Tierra del Fuego. They were, um, there was coalitions of indigenous people there in Paris, and their prophecies are completely aligned. And they are all saying very similar things, that this is a time, this is a turning point um, in our collective potential as humanity. So this is a welcome time for this to be coming, but I would challenge us to remember and that this is not a new paradigm. This is an old paradigm. And uh, so kind of, we are the archeologists of an old paradigm. <laughs> that, <laughs> just that anyway, I want, I, we remember, we have memories of our collectivity that are so much stronger than any of our division. And maybe, where are, we used to pray to our ancestors and remember and get messages from the land, and now we don't get, have that relationship, so we put our ancestors above in the sky or wherever we can find them. But those entities that are coming to us, they are also our ancestors. They are also the spirits of the, you know, of the species that are not represented, whose voices are not heard. I, I just think we really need to reach down as much as we reach up. Thank you. Hi, my name's Heather Peterson. Um, this is for Mr. Sheehan. I want to know what we're do going to do with our the legal construct as it is now, how do we move that into the new paradigm? When we're talking about the complexity of all these regulations that nobody can read terms of use unless you're gonna spend three months of the year. I mean, how are we to deal with a more simplistic, um, humanistic legal system? That's for you, sir. Okay. And then, um, <laughs> Catherine, if, if we, you could talk about a market economy versus a resource-based economy. If there's any possibility that there's a, a possibility of switching from a market-based economy where we have to do all this We don't have a market-based economy. We don't have a market-based economy. No, we don't. Oh, okay. Well, <laughs> what kind of economy do we have? We have a fascist economy. We have a friendly fascist economy. <laughs> but I'll address it anyway. Yeah, thank okay. you. You know, dealing with the fascists, uh, <laughs> we, the, the, uh, my, my own personal opinion is after spending years and years and years uh, working on this is that it's my opinion that we, we have to attempt to take over the structures of government. Uh, that, that, that Foster and I differ a little bit on this. I believe that, that the, the existence of governing structures that are here now uh, well, well, they constitute a, a, a substantial problem, and they've been created largely by the elite 
to try to maintain their power and assert that over us. There's a, a, a strong argument that can be made for, you know, not uh, not attempting to just take over their structures and use them for our benefit, but to many people are you have to kind of eliminate them. They have to be destroyed. Uh, they have to they have to be torn down. Uh, a major crisis has to occur to to cause them to collapse, uh, and then we have to build them de novo. Uh, I believe that what we need to do is we need to be building an alternative culture, obviously. We have to look forward positively toward building our alternative culture pursuant to our, our paradigm, a new paradigm. But everything has to really reduce itself ultimately to a public movement, a movement of citizens, a, a raising of our own consciousness, a mobilization of consciousness. But I think we have to articulate it through a political party my own personal judgment is we need to have a, a mobilized political party that puts forth very concrete public policy proposals and mobilize people behind those, organize candidates to go into the field to, to put these issues forward, to go door to door to our citizens to work with, with them. Uh, we saw some beginnings of this. At one point there was a, a natural law party that, that actually began one time talking about the need for meditation and under, under yeah with, John, with Hagel and the others. I went all the way out to uh, to Iowa and sat down with the steering committee, the Natural Law Party, and with uh, and with uh, Maharishi Mahashi Yoga, who was the head of them, in a big meeting, trying to get them to be serious, uh, to to not not treat it just as though their whole movement was like a siddha of some sort. Uh, th there was great potential uh, in this. So I, I believe that we have to have a major movement uh, in, in, the, in the democracies where we still have the room to move on this, that we have to conscientize our people, mobilize our people, organize a, 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 a social movement which b becomes a movement of raising consciousness and mobilizing a political party. I think that we have to take over the democratic system in the United States uh, and, and assert control over our own environment. And we have to reach out through the organs that exist to try to take over the government. That's my personal opinion, uh, that, that, uh, that they would love to have us just all talking about you know, setting up little small communities and growing our own food, et cetera, and leave all of the institutional structures to them. Uh, I don't think that's a good idea. Uh, I think that we need to take these over. Th this is a, a revolutionary movement. This has to be conceived of as a revolutionary movement that is undertaken and in, in undertake direct action, political action, every single form of action that can be taken uh, to, to, uh, to take control of these governing structures on our planet and turn them to the interests of the people. Well, clearly, my opinion. one thing you have to do, I'm sorry, yeah. I just want to add on, yeah, yeah. it has to be uh, necessary to eliminate, absolutely keep out major financial corporate interest yes. that's going to w work its way in. It's like the snake in the garden. You just got to kill the snake. Yeah. So you can't allow the, that power in. And that's, that's right. got to be the, one of the big keys. It seems. Well, and absolutely. I should tell you something that, that I'd mentioned earlier, the State of the World Forum uh, that, that was begun right at the end of the Cold War. 
that uh, President Gorbachev moved forward to try to establish the State of the World Forum, that I happened to have been the chair of that, many of you know, of the, the strategic initiative to identify the new paradigm uh, in that entire process. One of the major mistakes that was made in that process is they allowed corporate financing to come in to help finance the gathering of all those people together uh, at the Fairmont Hotel and putting up everybody and bringing them in from around the world, et cetera. And the corporations kept coming to the meetings and saying, look, whatever the new paradigm is that you people are talking about, whatever the changes are, you cannot change the economic system. That you have to maintain the transnational corporate capitalist uh, banking system. Uh, and as long as that's okay, you can do anything else you want to do. Uh, and, uh, and we refuse to do that. We refuse to allow them to, to set that condition. And that's why we got all the way to the year 2000 to the United Nations going to, and they expected to announce this great new, new paradigm. Uh, and we absolutely refused said we're not going to name any new paradigm that accepts the proposition that transnational corporate capitalism has to remain the dominant uh, economic yeah. system in the planet. We, we cannot allow that. We need to eliminate corporations. Uh, the, the, the whole creation of this concept of a corporation in, the, in the 1868 and afterwards that set up an immunization of the owners of the, right. the businesses to immunize them against liability for what they're doing, that has to be completely eliminated. And we're not going to be able to do that through the Republican Party or the Democratic Party. That's absolutely clear. There has to be a political movement that is rooted in the elimination of the corporations uh, and the, the establishment of, of revolutionary vision. Uh, and so I, I think this, this, we have to be clear about that. There's a great reluctance on the part of a lot of the people in the New Age movement to, oh, we can't do politics. You know, I, I think that this has to be a revolutionary political movement that overthrows the present power. Uh, so, that's my personal opinion. So let me bring that yeah. down. Let, let me bring that down to nuts and bolts. The dominance of the corporations is created by rig cost of capital, subsidy contracts and purchases through the federal budget. So, so the dominance of corporations is rigged by a rig cost of capital that works through the federal credit and the federal budget and contracts, purchases and other deals through the federal budget. So if you want to change this, one of the conditions precedent is getting, because remember, what's the goal? The goal to do it is in a way that makes us money. We have to shift the money out of the corporations and into a variety of parties, small business, everything else. So how do you do that? You get place-based financial disclosure of the federal monies and credit and contracts and spending for your county. Remember, it's hard to deal with the whole country. For your county, and you look for every opportunity you can to re-engineer it because it's currently operating outside of the law and things can be done much more efficiently. <coughs> so for example, I used this in my speech or in the workshop. If, I, if I'm on food stamps, I live in Tennessee, 25% of the population is on food stamps. If I pick up the phone and, and call the food stamp hotline because I have a problem with my food stamps, I get somebody in India working for J.P. Morgan Chase who is doing a job that if I did that job, I wouldn't need food stamps. So the federal government is paying twice. There are thousands of examples where the federal government is paying someone Say, paying a corporation $100 an hour to do something somebody in your neighborhood would love to do for $12 plus healthcare. Okay, there are thousands of thousands of examples, but it starts by getting the information you need to start to change 
it in thousands of incremental ways that make sense for your county, okay? Because one thing that the government cannot do, and it's, it's really a way to start to get the leverage you need to do what Danny is recommending, which is you need to walk to the table and say, you cannot pay twice what it needs to cost to do something outside <coughs> of the law with taxpayers' money, okay? The law is on your side and the money can be on your side, but it's gonna take a lot of digging in and working on the money one county at a time, and it starts with transparency about the money. Pardon me? I would, I wrote an article many years ago called Why I Declined to Run for the Presidency of the United States. And after I published it, now this is, now we're gonna talk real serious. Uh, a relative called me and said, what would it take? What would it get to take you to run for presidency of the United States? And I said, I would need at least 250 licenses to kill without question. <laughs> and they got outraged, they got outraged and said, uh, you know, a wonderful attorney like Danny, and said, that is the most lawless, disgusting thing I have ever heard. And I said, you cannot run a, a criminal enterprise without the authority to enforce. Okay, so if I ran for president, I'd be, I'd be dead a lot faster than John F. Kennedy. And besides, it's not my gift. I'm not a politician, I'm a money person. So, you know, I've spent many, many years telling people things they don't like to hear, so I, I assure you it's not fun. I don't wanna do it as a president of the United States. First of all, I want to just give my immense gratitude to all of you for the work that you're doing. And the subject I'm about to bring up has been alluded to all of you in one way or another throughout the weekend. Um, but I would just want to explicitly speak to it and um, get your thoughts and comments. I've had the terrible honor of hearing firsthand and helping heal the trauma of those that have been victims of satanic ritual abuse. And I work with these people, and I hear their stories, and I know firsthand how widespread and how organized this whole network is throughout our country and our planet, and how much that has affected everything else that we're talking about. And I'm convinced also as an activist as well that you can't work for the good, fight the good fight unless it's sort of like a wound that we're putting a Band-Aid over that's not been drained. And we have to open that wound and we have to let it drain. And this is the underbelly of all of this, is this spiritual warfare that's going on and the real trauma that's happening in many people in many different levels, walking around us this very day and every day we are meeting them. And we also are experiencing that on some level as well. So I just wanna to speak to that, but I also speak, I also feel a lot of hope because you're talking about bringing love and shining light right at the darkness, and that's exactly what we need to be doing. So thank you so much, and it took me some courage to speak up to this because it is a fearful subject and most people don't want to hear about it. Thank you. Thank you. I don't know if you're asking for a response. I just want to quickly say I've met a number of people just in my life who've been victims of satanic ritual abuse. It's a, hor I mean, it's a horrible 
terrible, terrible, terrible thing. And there's a, a, there is this underbelly of it's just evil. There's this evil, let's call it a network that's, that's doing this. And it really is a, an important thing, I think, for us to be uh, fearless and rooting it out and shining the light on it. Right. Glad you mentioned that. I think, no, we're really pushed for time, so. I just want to mention that the first conference that Jordan put on focused very much on that specific topic. And, yes, Lori and myself. Yeah. So those who are interested in this, it's the dark underbelly of a lot of things. Please go take a look at some of those videos. I think you'll appreciate them. mentioning the book, the Franklin cover-up was mentioned. Yes, absolutely. Uh, my name's Mark Hurwood. I'm the secretary and treasurer of the New Energy Movement. I never thought I'd be standing in front of people holding a box and a basket, but this really helps. We just gained in the last 10 minutes like $3,300. Thank you so much. It really makes a difference. All right. So, speakers, we're going to uh, clear off the table and stuff, but we ask that you just stay for a couple minutes so we can take the group photos. And um, everybody else, heck of a conference, huh? <laughs>